Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Gold Giant Podcast. I am your host, Jarrell. And I am your host, Jose. So, hello, everyone. And uh, just before we start, I just wanted to say that my voice might sound a little funny. Uh, I unfortunately um, caught COVID um, a few days ago. I am having a, a good recovery, so um, I'm feeling much better than what I did since I first took my test. So, uh, you know, just just still be careful out there, guys. Um, get vaccinated and and wear masks whenever you can. But uh, thankfully, I'm I'm doing better. So hopefully, my my funny voice won't will annoy you guys too much. But but hey, we we're, we're here. And that's and you know I think it's good to still still be here and just experience the the, the present you know yeah man uh, wishing you a speedy recovery I hope everything goes well and uh, your symptoms your symptoms get better not worse but uh yeah yeah thank you thank you I really appreciate it and and I, I'm hope I'm thinking uh, some of my friends are listening too so thank you for you guys too for your for your encouragement so I'm I'm, I'm feeling way better way better yep. I'm ready hey. to talk about Arlong Park. <laughs> okay, yeah. So uh, last we left off, we just covered the Barati arc. We got Sanji on the crew. We took down uh, Don Krieg, the most memorable character in all of One Piece. And uh, Nami actually absconded with the Merry Go, the Going Merry. She uh, took it during these kerfuffle. And she's going somewhere, but um, she's being tailed by... Freaking Usopp, Zoro, and Johnny in the meantime. And Luffy, Sanji, and Yosaku are trying to catch up to figure out where they're going, which is going to lead us into the next arc of Arlong Park. Now, uh, I'm just going to give a brief summary about all the events that transpired in Arlong Park because it was a lot. And then we're going to talk about our favorite moments and discuss some of the uh, character interactions some big character moments. I know your boy Usopp gets quite a few in this one. And uh oh yeah, yeah. We'll I get into the nitty-gritty uh after the summary. So hang on tight, y'all. Okay, so uh at the top of the arc, Nami has just escaped. She double crossed the Straw Hat crew and she's heading over to Koko Village or Kokoyashi Village, depending on your translation. And Zoro, Usopp, and Johnny, as I said previously, are scouting ahead. However, they end up getting separated and Zoro is captured by the fishmen. And the fishmen are under the employ of Arlong. Now, we are given some exposition by Yosaku about what's up with that? What's up with Arlong? What's up with the fishmen? So, to preference, the fishmen are actually under the control of a man named Jinbei. He himself is also a fishman. And he was just given the title of Warlord of the Sea, or Shichibukai, uh, depending on your translation again. I'm going to say Warlord of the Sea because that's easier for me. Uh... So, him being a warlord, that means that he is a pirate that is sanctioned by the government, sort of like the privateers back in like the 1600s and such. And Jinbei's agent, who is Arlong, who is, again, another fishman, he's terrorizing the East Blue under Jinbei's orders. And Arlong decided to build his headquarters on Nami's home island, and he has effectively enslaved every single human on said island. In exchange for the right to live, each human must pay a heavy tax every month, including children. And the Marines actually get a cut of Arlong's tax, again, because he's being sanctioned by them. So every month, a dude named Captain Nezemi from Base 16, he collects money from Arlong. And that keeps their uh, their business running smoothly. The Marines stay out of his way. Arlong stays out of the Marines' way. It's, it's an effective system that they got. 
And uh, Nezumi is specifically from base 16, which is really important because in the middle of this arc, another Marine from base 77, he actually tries to capture Arlong. However, Arlong sinks him in a ship and all of his people. So not every Marine is entirely corrupt like Nezumi, but, uh, you know, like most people, there's shades of gray everywhere you go. But uh, effectively, Oda says the Marines can't be trusted 100%. So turns out Nami has been working for Arlong the entire time. Uh, she's been drawing him maps and charts, as well as trying to collect 100 million berries to buy the village from him so that the people don't have to pay his tax every month. Essentially, the village will be under her control. Even though she's trying to buy the village, the village openly mocks and chastises her. They call her a witch for siding with their enemy, who is Arlong. And apparently she's been with him since she was a child. So when it comes to Straw Hats, even though it's been revealed that Nami purposefully used them for their money, Zoro and Usopp don't believe that she's as cold-hearted as everyone else says. And Nami is tested by, essentially, Arlong's crew, as well as Zoro. So to paint the scene, Zoro is bound by his arms and legs, and he's in front of Arlong and crew. His... Um, his throne section, or his throne room, I would say, is basically an open-air environment, and right in front of him is a long strip that essentially acts like a pool that opens up into the ocean. Because they're fishmen, they have access to water. It's essentially where, you know, they thrive. And Nami's there looking at Zoro, and she's being questioned, who is this guy, what's her relation to him, and yada yada. And Zoro just dives into the water, and he's prepared to drown himself. And Nami jumps in, saves him without hesitation. She brings him out of the water, and she knocks him out immediately, and tells Arlong to throw him in the brig instead. Uh, later on, she has a similar encounter with Usopp. Uh, to prove her loyalty to Arlong's men, she's being forced to kill him in front of them. And she effectively fakes Usopp's death with his help in front of everybody, using some subterfuge, because both of them are tricksters, they know what they're doing. Zoro and Usopp effectively escape from that situation, Nami actually let Zoro free uh, while everyone was distracted earlier, so he's already loose. And they meet up on the beach, or not a beach, they meet up on the road later, and uh, they meet Nojiko. Nojiko is Nami's older sister. Usopp meets her a little earlier, and she explains the basics of Nami's situation to him. But at this point, Luffy's already caught up with Zoro and crew, so everyone's together, and she begins to explain Nami's backstory. Just like Sanji from the previous story arc, she has a very tragic backstory. Nami and Nojiko are actually adopted sisters, and they were adopted by their mother, Belle Mare, back when, I believe, Nojiko was three and Nami was barely, like, a year old. She was found, or they were both found in a battlefield that the Marines were having a skirmish with somebody. It's never named who. And they are found by Belle Mare, who was left for dead. She was actually about to close her eyes and die until she heard a crying baby. And uh, she found the two, Nochiko and Nami, and decided to adopt them. And she brought them back to her home village of Kokoyashi. And uh, she started to raise them as a single mother. And with the help of the local villager named Genzo, he's essentially their surrogate father figure. It's not confirmed if he ever had a relationship with Belmare, but there seems to be some, some sort of flirtation there. Uh, so who knows? So they have a pretty normal life. They're struggling a little bit because... Uh, they try to make money with their orange farm or their orange grove. They don't make it that much money. And uh, that seems to be a theme for Nami is that she's constantly wanting more funds to live a better life and take care of her family and such. 
and everything changed when Arlong attacked. So he shows up on the island and he is forcing his tax on everybody. The adults have to pay 100 million berries. Children have to pay 50 million berries. Uh, and here's the problem with that. Belmere only has 100 million. She can only afford herself. She claims that even though she has kids, because Arlong finds out she has kids, she can only afford to pay for herself. But instead, she's going to use that money to pay for her kids. So 50 million each, or 50 million, 50,000 each equals to 100,000. So she can afford for them, can't afford for herself. Arlong says, fine, I'll kill you in front of your kids. And he does so. I mean, Belmere puts up a fight. But essentially, Nami and Nojiko both witness their mom dying in front of their very eyes. Uh, Nami is only around 10 years old at this point, And she's already a talented map maker. Arlong goes through all of their things and finds some of the maps that Nami has made on her free time. And employs her in her crew. He convinces her to join him. And he's going to give her all the money she wants, all the clothes that she wants. Basically... Makes her an indentured servant. Essentially, she's a glorified slave for him. And he brands her, or tattoos, essentially it's a branding. He brands her with uh, his pirate flag's emblem, which is like a sawtooth shark with a couple of spirals here and there. That's on her back. So that's the thing that we see when she's wearing her tank top. That's the tattoo she's been hiding. And they make a deal where if she can raise 100 million berries... She can buy the village from Arlong and it'll effectively be hers. Now, in the current time, she has 93 million berries. She has 7 million to go. So she's almost there, but Arlong knows that. So his old ally, Nizumi from the Marines, he sends Nizumi over to her house and he ransacks the place, raids it, saying, oh, you're a thief and this money belongs to the people, so we're going to liberate the money from you. Effectively, he's stealing your shit. And... He wrecks her house, he wrecks the grove, and she finds out, because Nezumi has loose lips, he was sent by Arlong, so she goes back to her boss and saying, hey, you broke our deal. Arlong's like, I didn't break anything, because he personally didn't do anything, and says that she'll just have to make the money up all over again. So he's totally fine with that. His whole goal is to essentially keep her under his employ for as long as he possibly can. So... After that confrontation with Arlong, she leaves, she crumples to the ground, and she starts to stab herself in the arm where Arlong's tattoo is, only to be stopped by Luffy. She begs for his help as tears are falling down her face, and Luffy places his hat on her head, and she begins to reminisce about just how important that hat is to him, and that he doesn't let anyone ever touch his hat, and yet here she is, wearing it. And it's sort of like a uh, safety blanket for her in a way. So then, with him and the rest of the boys, they charge straight ahead into Arlong's park and proceed to beat the shit out of every fish man there. So, this whole fight sequence is a really epic battle. A lot of things are happening, and obviously I can't cover everything here, but we'll be here forever if I do. Uh, but we'll mention some of those during our favorite moments section of the podcast. So, after Arlong is defeated, the island is free, and they have a massive party. Nami gets her tattoo removed, and because it leaves a scar no matter what, she decides to get a new tattoo to cover it instead, and she chooses a pinwheel and a tangerine that's at the end of one of the blades, effectively symbolizing both her mother and her father, Genzo and Belmere. And she joins the crew officially, starting from this point on, as their navigator. The villagers of the island, they bid her farewell, and she's now an official member of the crew. And so that's 
the gist of what happened without going into any of the details, uh, which we'll do so in our favorite moments. So, Jose, was there any moments that stood out to you when you're reliving some of these moments in One Piece? I think for for me, uh, I think just seeing Nami like stab herself with the with the dagger, like trying to like dig out that tattoo of Arlong on her shoulder. I think that 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 really spoke to me. I mean, because like she was just so like frustrated, like at what was going on, and she was just she just wanted to like let it out at some way or another, and then. I think the previous interaction, like when they, well, not the pre, yeah, I guess the previous interaction when Luffy um, meets her for the first time, like he says how much um, the straw hat that he carries means to him. And then him having that trust over everything that they've gone through at this point, he places a hat on, on her, Naomi as she's crying and then tells her like that she, that he'll defeat them um, for her. And and even then, like um, you know, the the rest of the crew wasn't there, but they were waiting for Luffy to to just take on the lead of, to to take on Arlong and the crew. And I think that was that was a really strong moment. And um, and I I think just how how much just yeah, just the 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 weight of everything that Nami was doing for her village and trying to keep it a secret from from the straw hat crew and just how how long she was fighting for i mean she was uh saving up money for up to eight years and even then she she was still you know maybe a couple years off from from reaching her goal and yeah just everything that was going to just accumulation and just she was just holding those tears uh, for her village for for all this time i think that was I mean, I that made me, that made me uh, cry. Like maybe not. Uh, well, yeah, just just made me a couple tears run down my cheek. But I thought that was, that was a very very emotional moment. Absolutely, and that moment is definitely one of the most defining moments and one of the most memorable moments of this arc. Like when people go back and they think about it, that's the image that flashes in a lot of people's heads, uh, and the one that they reference a lot. And I would never promote self-harm, but when she was stabbing herself, I felt for her because that was the climax of the whole story. She's incredibly frustrated throughout the entire arc up until this point because they're showing her dealing with the pressures of being shunned by her home and the people that she grew up with, the people she loves. Uh, Children are calling her witch, even though she is doing this for the good of the village. Uh... She can't seem to get rid of the straw hats at all. Uh, Zoro is just as stubborn as Luffy, and he refuses to admit that she betrayed them. Uh, even all the stuff that happened with Usopp as well, forcing her to kill him in front of everybody. And then this is immediately after her grove is destroyed, her home. This is Belmare's house, the one place that she finds solace and comfort in, because Whenever things hit the fan, she always goes back to Belmare's house to collapse and just exist for a moment. And then you have these Marines, the people that she's supposed to uh, think that they're going to protect her. They ruin her life, effectively. Almost as much as Arlong in a fraction of a moment. 
And then she just crumbles and lets all those emotions she's been holding back overwhelm her, only to be comforted or only to be comforted by Luffy, this guy she barely even knows, who doesn't even know her whole story. And here he is, just laying his life on the line for someone he cares about. And that's all that matters to him is the fact that she's upset. And it's a wonderful a, moment. Uh, oh, I just wanted to say, like, I think even then um, when uh, Nami's sister, uh, Nojiko, she finds a straw hat and she's like, okay, guys, let me tell you a story about Nami and why she is and why the way she is now. And then Luffy just decides to walk away and, and he's like, no, I'm not going to listen to this. Bye. And then. He goes off to just, like, he literally just walks and tries to look for Nami. And I think that's, I think that's very interesting of him to just, you know, just look directly for the, for the solution. Right. Uh, the past doesn't matter to him. Whatever happened to her back then happened to her back then. He's mostly focused on what's wrong now. What is she upset about right now? You know? And I respect that. That's, uh, that, like you said, that's an interesting way to put it. Because a normal person would be like, no, yeah, what happened? Why is she like this? Is is there something I can do to help? He's like, no, nah, I don't need to, I don't need to know about all that. I'm just gonna solve the problem here and now, and that's one of the defining traits about Luffy, which is pretty dope. And I think throughout this whole um, through whole arc, I, I I want to say like I think speaking of frustration, I think the village people were also felt that, and then I think though they're. Everyone that that went up to try to fight Arlong like by themselves, and you know, as far as we know, there's no, um, they're just regular people, and then just picking up like you know whatever tools and weapons they have to go directly at them. I thought that was very admirable. Um, I think at some point, it uh, it is revealed to Nami that uh, they knew all along what they were, what like, what she was up to, and then. I think they just kept that they just kept that a sticker from her so that she wouldn't get upset and I think some of the tears that were shed from her I think were, were part of that as well that there was just that um I guess that appreciation from Nami or that appreciation from the village people to Nami like realizing that you know we can't do much um because you know we we could get killed or that will put us more in danger but we'll let you Nami like fight for us as we as our only way to fight is to survive absolutely and uh their logic behind not letting her know that they knew what she was doing was that they didn't want to put pressure on a 10 year old and have her think that she has to support the entire village by herself they wanted her to know that they can survive on their own they don't necessarily need her but they still put their hope behind her because again, Nami's really young. She's just a kid. Like in the current chapters, she's only eighteen. That's very young. And she started when she was ten. And she's working with straight up criminals, murderers, people who killed her mom in front of her, you know? It's it's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of issues that can develop from there, you know? It's really hard to put all that stuff on a single person, let alone a child. And so them wanting to hide that from her. That hit me really hard, as well as when they said, you know what, even though she doesn't have the money anymore, even though we don't have a chance of liberating ourselves through Nami, we're just going to grab all of our stuff. We're just going to fight. Even if we die today, at least we go out swinging because enough is enough. I love that. That was amazing. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think everyone just got so inspired by Nami. I mean, even um the the two bounty hunters, Johnny and, and Jokushu, I, I think they they kind of just kind of gave up at some point, but then I think they 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 mentioned that um they were listening on Nami's backstory and then that I think they even tried to went back to the fisher to the fishmen and try to fight in, in her honor, but um obviously they couldn't defeat them and then they were just waiting um for the for the straw hat crew to come so yeah just just nami's just uh like her whole story was just very inspiring that even these two people like the two the two bounty hunters got wanted one of them i mean i guess even arlong at some point like he had like a type of respect for nami obviously not to the extent where you know he would uh set her free but he recognized like the skill she had as a as a navigator and, and you know and wanted to exploit that uh speaking of arlong i want to talk about what's up with him real quick because to s- just put it out there he's one of my favorite villains in all of one piece like even into the most recent chapters and his feelings in regards to humans as well as nami hits a chord with me because i'm a black man stories about racism it hits me on an emotional and historical side, obviously, uh, being an African-American specifically. And I want to get into that a little bit. So Arlong is a fishman, and in Arlong's opinion, he has this little theory about the origins of fishmen. He believes that they are evolved humans, as in fishmen were originally humans who evolved to have gills, webbed feet, and the features of fish essentially arlong himself is based off of a sawtooth shark i believe that's why his nose is super sharp and jagged and he believes fishmen to be superior to humans in every physical way so for example uh i believe the statistics were fishmen on average were 10 times stronger than humans like uh arlong himself is able to physically lift a building and flip them upside down uh in the water that multiplier goes up i think to 40 i don't don't call me on that part. That that one's a little fuzzy. <laughs> but essentially, he believes that fishmen are superior to humans in every single way. And he even uses the words that they are the master race in the Viz translation. And like, if that doesn't strike home that this is an allegory towards like neo-Nazi racist fascist regimes, I don't know what else to tell you. And you know, I I've been watching the anime and then I'm further arcs along. There's a you know, further along as we go. Uh, through the through the whole One Piece story, like there is more evidence that supports that too. Like just, you know, just like um, it talks about inequality. It talks about about slavery, basically. And then I th- and you know you could even argue like the actions that led for Arlong to do this. Like it would there were in a way I felt kind of like justified that you know that uh, you know and once again not to spoil too much like. What what um you know what happens along the way that um even then you know um that would still mean that the actions that Arlong are committing are are still are pretty horrible as well. Yeah, I was about to say I wouldn't say they were justified, but I see where it's coming from. I don't agree, but I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like I mean, uh, yeah, he's just he's enslaving other people, which doesn't necessarily solve his problems but um you know you you see like the frustration that he has against people that he, you know he just doesn't like them. yeah because that's true to real life that 
violence begets violence, racism begets more racism, and it's essentially the cycle of hatred. And there is clearly a source that he's having all that anger towards humans coming from, but it's not going to do any good, you know? And uh, his regard for Nami is really interesting as well because he despises humans. He sees them as basically cattle. But Nami's, and I hate this term with a passion because I've been told this several times in my life, but he considers her one of the good ones. I fucking hate that phrase because what is that supposed to mean? <laughs> but um, so he values her because of her skill set. He knows that she's incredibly smart, uh, especially for a quote unquote human. And she's a, she's just a huge asset to him and he knows that. So he's not going to try to like outright kill her or break her or whatever, but he's going to try to break her spirit to where she doesn't want to leave that she can't leave because the maps that she makes has been making him so much money. He has so much Intel of the lands around him, the oceans behind him, and he's going to use that to take over the East blue. And who knows what he would take on if he ever succeeded to that point. Obviously, he didn't get that far because Luffy stomped him out, but he would effectively be a dangerous dude. He's the most wanted man in the entirety of the East Blue at 20 million berries, and so far, no one can stop him until our rubber boy does, you know? And I think just so many factors um, just align with him that just helped him to get this far. Like, you know, he has Nami, he has, um, you know the support of a a really scary and powerful a frowful um you know group of people uh, and a sea king this oh he has a sea king as well and also like you know as as we've seen so far there's a navy that that tries to balance out the world but um unfortunately he got in touch with someone who's just as crooked as he is and and you know he's able to cover up all his his all his business was, you know, through the language of money. So, you know, if it weren't for Luffy, he, he could have succeeded like, and gone with his plan. He might have. And again, Oda loves to put real life situations in his fiction because that's the best kind of story. Something that you can uh, put things that you've witnessed, things that you've experienced into your fiction, as well as, you know, life imitates fiction, fiction imitates life, that sort of thing. I love that about his works. Uh, you, again, can't trust these Marines. I mean, obviously there's good ones like Kobe. I think that's the only one we've seen so far. <laughs> but uh, there's good men in the Marines, you know? But unfortunately, there's people in leadership positions, both in this story and in real life, that are corrupt, can't be trusted. And man, who can he trust anymore? I mean, One Piece is full of gray. And I love that because... Obviously, pirates are, they're pirates, they murder, they pillage, they do other things I don't want to mention. And, however, Luffy and crew, obviously, they're pirates. They're not, they're bad at being pirates, but they're still pirates. And then you have the Marines, who are supposed to be good guys, and yet, obviously, some aren't, you know? The the gray in One Piece is wonderful to see. Also, not to, um, not to be sidetracked so much, but, um... Speaking of Kobe, we do get to see um, what's up with him and um, uh, the other guy that he met. Helmepo, another very memorable character. Yes. (laughs) 
And um and yeah, we just see them um, you know, going along with the with the navy and um you know and if you're reading the manga you see these illustrations that Oda makes and then um I I, I like that um that you kinda see like what are the other characters introduce her up to. I mean we also see what uh um what uh Buggy is up to as well. Um and and with both uh Kobe and uh uh I forgot his name. Hell Meppo. Uh, <laughs> A very Hell memorable Nepo. character, indeed. <laughs> yeah, we see them just, you know, getting trained and just going along. And, um, oh, even um, another character appears, uh, uh, Captain Morgan, the axe guy. He he got caught by the Marines. So so we see, like, how, um, just how immersive the world is that, you know, Luffy is obviously the, the main force that, that changes the events and throughout One Piece, but we also see uh, uh, other characters that um, that Oda also, you know, gives hints in here and there of, of what they're up to. Uh, and uh, also, I, I don't know if we ever mentioned it, but we also have the the SBS corner, like at the last of, of a couple chapters where he answers fan questions. So I think those are really memorable too. I've mentioned them, uh, I think, our first podcast episode of One Piece Reviews, but I kind of stopped because some of those questions are a little goofy, and I'm like, I don't even know how to incorporate those into these. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, then even, like, those little skits are, and drawings along with them, so I think uh, they're they're pretty good, and I think it's a it's a plus to to reading the manga compared to, to the anime, but... Um, but yeah, I think, um, uh, I guess another side note, a difference that I saw in the anime, and um, this is specifically to the, um, to the four kids dub. Um, once again, uh, bringing four kids into this, but uh, can't help it. Um, uh, when the fishmen talk, I uh, I think there's like a weird like underwater filter effect they do to their voices, which are kind of kind of annoying but uh i think that was still a funny thing that they did to it then i can see that i can i can see them doing that i remember watching the four kids dub about this arc way back when but i i don't experience things more than once mostly <laughs> so i haven't rewatched it in decades uh and this is only the second time i've been going through the manga because i only read once of anything really but uh, yeah, some of the choices that they made was very strange. Like I can hear the filter that you're talking about. I think I can do that on Audacity actually, and that would be really annoying because it's like, why don't they just talk normally? They have lungs. They mentioned that they have both lungs and gills. <laughs> and I don't even think they refer to them as fishmen. I think they're called mermen, like mermaid and men together. So that's I guess another interesting issue. That's weird because like the connotation of being a merman means that you have like your bottom half is fish like and but these guys are literally fish people like we have Hachan who's an octopus man uh you have the karate guy who's like a stingray man uh you have the 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 the, the big lip dude I don't know what kind of fish he's supposed to be but he's that kind of fish dash man you know yeah, then I, I I mean I'm just impressed like how 
how strong these guys are like and you're just double trouble you know they they can survive on land but also their physical capabilities just get and you know just they can just get a boost like just by being underwater i mean at at some point in the fight we just see that um arlong just had like a little like puddle of water on his hand and and he was able to go up against Sanji and Soro at the same time, which is, which is, which is terrifying. And Arlong's a fucking waterbender. That is so dope. He just has a little, little splash of water. He throws it at somebody and he gets hit like a shotgun. It's wonderful. I love it. And props to Sanji for taking on a fishman underwater. You know, that was really cool. In fact, that was one of the moments I wanted to mention because, uh, it's also a really weird moment because Oda decides to use physics in this fight where the Stingray guy grabs Sanji and they're almost at the surface of the water. They're still underwater and he swims as fast as he can down to the bottom of the ocean and then stops right before they hit the ground level of the ocean. And you see Sanji's lungs literally make a popping sound and he starts essentially vomiting up blood and... Effectively, Oda's saying his lungs have exploded from all the pressure from the water. And I'm like, yo, that's ridiculous. And then the Stingray Man swims him all the way back to just below the surface again. So I'm like, man, if the pressure didn't kill him, the bends would definitely kill him. But it's One Piece. It's a cartoon. Sanji's fine. (laughs) And uh, he then proceeds to blow air into the gills of the Stingray Man to get free. And I'm like, that's really interesting. Again, it's selective physics, but I really like what he did with that scene. Like, it makes it different besides just throwing punches, blocking, throwing kicks, dodging. Make it more unique, using your environment to your advantage when it comes to your storytelling. And that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, Sanji, like, not only does he have, like, the strengths, but just, you know, just very tactical as a as a fighter. And then, uh, you know, he just recently joined the crew, and I think... Him being this loyal already to to both Luffy and Nami, I think, is very admirable. But I think I also want to give props to Zoro. I mean, Zoro was was defeated by a by a warlord, another warlord, and or uh, well, yeah, just was uh, with the warlord uh, Mihawks, and he was still able to to defeat a a, a fisherman on on his own, which I think is was just is crazy. Not just one fishman, he took out Arlong's entire park except for his main, like, officers. Now, uh, Zoro's fight with Mihawk, we don't really have a time reference here, but it feels like it was just yesterday, you know, that he just got nearly bisected by Mihawk's big-ass sword. And he shouldn't be walking. He shouldn't be... He, I'm surprised he's even conscious. And yet... Uh, dude's legit just walking around he's talking trash he's doing his thing and as Johnny and Yosuke say he's just been suffering in silence this whole time but even then dude took out everybody now I'm I'm just gonna have my Zora boner out for just a little bit I'll try to keep it brief but uh, he's just straight chilling after he takes down all those dudes and he's going up against Hachan And even though he's like exhausted by this point because he's been he's literally been running around the entire island looking for Usopp and trying to catch up to him. He got smacked in the face by a flying boat, (laughs) literally. 
And dude's been taking a lot of punishment on top of having his insides essentially ripped open. And uh, he defeats Hachan and Arlong grabs Zoro by the throat and he's lifting him up. Dude's vomiting everywhere, like vomiting blood all over Arlong's hand, which is kind of gross. But whatever. <laughs> In this post-COVID world, a lot of things are gross now. Uh, and... Arlong grabs his bandages, rips them off his body. He just looks, he just looks at his wounds and just goes, "Oh, dude, how are you alive right now?" Oh I yeah, it. that was that was really gross. I was like, "Oh, it was yeah. so gruesome." Like you see his stitches opening up. It, you basically just see like his insides, or you don't literally see inside of his organs, but like all of his clothing is just stained with blood, and it's ridiculous. Like dude should not be alive he was coming down with a fever i'm like you need to be in a hospital my guy what are you doing but he he, he just needs everything he just needs a trans a blood transfusion he needs like to he needs to sleep he probably hasn't eaten or drink anything like he oh my he god you're right he also <laughs> needs a therapist let's be honest but <laughs> yeah. dude is such a badass i love him he's still my favorite character and honestly Despite that, I would still give the MVP to Sanji because he helped get Luffy free when uh, he was stuck in the concrete underwater. Even though Zoro is my favorite, I got to give up to Sanji up to my, you know, chagrin. Is that the word I'm looking for? But um, another thing I wanted to cover, actually, was we finally see what happens when a Devil Fruit user is submerged underwater. Oh, yeah, that's true. And this is... um. Something that Arlong brought up, you know, Luffy, um, um, you know, through his very tactical skills, he unfortunately got himself stuck on the concrete. So he landed his feet, both of his feet, uh, under the concrete and he got stuck. I like how um, you used the word tactical Ar there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then, um, you know, Arlong mentioned that, you know, there was a rumor that what happens when you mix wa uh, the ocean water and devil fruit powers and he just picked them up still with concrete stuck on his feet and just chuck them on the water and you see him like submerge yeah it looks like uh his body just sort of gives up you know and he can't exactly move and he's struggling so if it wasn't for nojiko and genzo he would be dead you know that that, that would have been really scary because then that would mean there would be uh you know the end of luffy which hopefully it wasn't and and possibly a, a new a rubber person out there out there in the world so. <laughs> a replacement rubber boy but um so i don't know if you notice we've only seen two devil fruit users up until this point and i believe we're like at chapter 80 of the manga yeah i think um it reached um well the end of this arc was 95 and yeah we only seen two devil fruit powers a hundred so chapters in and only two devil fruits yeah, I think I think they wanted to mention that when we reached Barati, but uh, I don't think I think I just forgot. But yeah, that's that's crazy. I mean, uh, we don't we still don't know that much. We don't know, uh, you know, uh, on the story so far what what they're capable of, and um, you know, we we seen one of the weaknesses, which is ocean water. Yeah, man, we're definitely going to get more. We have to. Because uh, so far, the only representation that we have for Devil Fruits are Buggy and Luffy, two 
straight up goofballs with three brain cells between them. Luffy having one. And then even that, we, we just have two accidental double for power users, which is still pretty funny to me. Yeah. Also, uh, I want to give it up to Belmare for a bit. I mean, we're recording this on Father's Day, but what a badass mom, am I right? She, 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 she's a very, just, just a strong person. Like, just holy shit. Just everything she went through, she was, you know, she was about to die, but then... You know, she still was able to save two more lives, uh, which are Nami and Nojiko, which is, which is so, 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 so badass. And that's the part that hit me out of nowhere. The fact that she said that she was going to close her eyes and die. I'm like, oof, dude. Ooh. <laughs> and even then, like, at some point, like, during the story, like, um, you know, she was cooking dinner, um. Nojiko and Nami were out of the house and then um, you know she when Arlong showed up at their place like she she was ready she was ready to take him down and you know he he was she was even on top of him with you know with the gun up to his face and everything she had her rifle ready knocked his ass to the ground and put her rifle in his mouth damn what a woman uh. <laughs> And I see I where mean, Nami gets, like, her backbone from, you know, being raised by a, a single mom at that. I mean, again, we don't know what kind of relationship we had with Genzo. But still, like, she was a, she's effectively a single mother raising two kids. Nami uh, basically being a thief from Jump, stealing books from the libraries and such. And Nojiko basically being the second mom in the family and, you know, getting Belmare sass on her side of things as well but yeah that is a strong family that she comes from good background and like i see why she's so independent because you have a person like bell mare in your life and she was also pretty young all things considered like uh, uh she says she was 30 by the time she would by the time she died uh let's see minus eight years before Arlong showed up, so she would have been 22 by the time she discovered the kids, and they're already slightly older. They weren't newborns or anything, I mean, aside from Nami, and so she's effectively raising these kids since she was 22. That's a pretty young parent, you know, and good on her for doing as well as she can. Yeah, and I, I think, yeah, Nojiko was, you know, I think she could talk, but she was still very young, and yeah, just was able to, to raise both, um, you know, help them and raise them. And everything just it's just just crazy just uh, just rarely strong independent woman and the relationship between nami and nojiko was so sweet like when nami came back after she got branded by arlong she hated her tattoos she hated looking at it she hated that anyone can see it and nojiko is 12 at this point she ends up getting a tattoo herself of some hearts and some spiral patterns just to make nami feel better about it you know and that's wonderful. Yeah, uh, Nojiko's another favorite character of mine in this arc. Uh, I, I mean, as an older sibling in the family, I, I relate to just how she's always trying to look out for her younger siblings. And, and like, you know, uh, on, when uh, Bellamere just unfortunately passes away, like, she still tries to look out for, for Nami as, as a, well, I guess both as a sister and as a, as a parental figure. Absolutely. Like, I have no complaints about Nojiko. She is so freaking cool. 
she was also helpful to the straw hats like um you know she didn't knew them all that well but you know knowing that they've been taking care of nami i, I think she still paid her respects and tried to help them anyway oh uh, she was she was there when um uh arlong was fighting um zora and sanji, sanji and she was trying to along with Genso trying to get luffy free from from the concrete while she was nursing a bullet wound, by the way, she actually got shot in the stomach right before that situation went down. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. I mean, I've never been shot before, but I imagine it is excruciating having an open wound like that. But not only being in seawater, all that salt, it's gotta suck, but she put in work, dude. And she stood in front of Sanji when Hachan was going to give her his own Gatling gun, you know? Like, she got right in front of him about to protect her with her own already injured body. How dope is that? Yeah, I mean, this this whole family has very strong, independent women. And I think that's very, very respectable. Very it is awesome. And also, also all waifu material as well. <laughs> <laughs> Top tier waifu materials. The whole family. <laughs> Cannot go wrong with either of those three. Now, I want to get back to Arlong again, uh, because I think the last... No, we, two things we haven't mentioned. Luffy and Usopp. So, since Usopp's your favorite, how about we talk about Usopp real quick? So, Usopp, unfortunately, he doesn't have much strength or physical strength. Uh, he is, however, very tactical and has... Um, you know, he carries around with him this little... This little purse um, in which he puts his slingshot, but also it's just a other man bag. Random, <laughs> uh, a man bag, or a man <laughs> bag. <laughs> but uh, um, I mean, the way I see it, it's like a like a little doctor's bag or like a little coin purse. But anyway, yeah, he, um, you know, unfortunately, he still struggles with with you know standing up to danger. But um, when you know things get gets get serious he he also becomes serious we see early on how genzo tried to um stand up to arlong and you know this is before the big fight he still was able to 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 shoot him one of his fire stars at him and then later on he was he was able to take down one of the the fishmen um officers and defeated them um maybe in a, a cowardly way <laughs> in some way but <laughs> He still was able to to defeat him because you know it's a it's still a life or death situation. Then, um, thankfully, he was still able to come up, make it out alive. Right, and one moment that stuck out to me during that whole situation was he was running away from the mic the the lip guy. I'm gonna call him Smek Man because he always makes the Smek sound effect whenever he's uh, on screen. So Smek Man, he was chasing him down and. Uh, Usopp made it look like he got hit by him, got a bunch of ketchup blood all over him, and dude went about his business. And so Usopp started to put dirt on his body, make it look like his wounds are worse than it was. And he was rehearsing his speech to the guys uh, when he returns. He's like, sorry, guys, I couldn't beat him, but, you know, I did my best and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, wait, this feels wrong. And he stands up and is like, hey, you bitch. <laughs> and he just starts to go ham on this guy like he took out hammers he's got all these different trickery stars and because he calls his um his slingshot ammo he calls them stars like uh lava star egg star yada yada and 
chops to him, man. He actually stood up and had some courage there. Because, again, I'm not a big fan of cowardly characters that don't have, you know, some backbone to them. But he really stood up and he did good work, man. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's one of those characters that you don't know exactly what he could be, what what he could be planning. But, you know, he, he realized that, that, you know, at his arsenal, he could maybe not fight like um you know hand on hand but he he was able to fight within the distance and and still defeat him um and then um uh, i think nojiko also noticed that too like early on like how you know he was still not he he, he still showed you know some cowardice but you know when when things got tough you know he was able to you know to do his best and stand up for for others Absolutely. That was a really good moment for Usopp. And uh, finally, let's get over to Luffy, our our main man, our homeboy. So one thing that I really loved about Luffy was that when he first meets Arlong, he legit just right. He walks right up to his front door, kicks it down and says, hey, which one's Arlong? Me. And he just decks him right in the face <laughs> on the ground. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was a shit awesome badass moment like just everyone was like surprised like oh that whoa that just happened oh my gosh and he uses some of his best moves on arlong just straight away and i i don't remember all his moves names he's he's got the pistol he's got the whip he's got the pistol whip he's got the gatling gun he's got the shotgun all sorts of guns and arlong is just completely unfazed he's like did you did you do anything to me what just happened i love it like i love arlong swag so much (laughs) And I, I just think it's very just remarkable, just like how he, I don't think at this point when he faced Arlong, he knew like the actual strength and power that a fishman can have. Because I know Usav, Soro, and I think Sanji too also face him, but, but Us, um, not Usav, Luffy just hasn't met any fishman at all at this point, but he was still went up to try to fight for 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 Nami and just try to free her from from Arlong's grasp. I don't even think he realized Arlong was a fish man because Arlong has this moment where he's like, "All right, kid, you know what's the difference between you and me? Our noses." No. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> then he's like, "Gills? No, uh, sort of. Web toes? Sh- shut up. Just shut up." <laughs> and uh, speaking of noses, so. Arlong prides himself on his his schnoz and how unbreakable it is because he's actually able to propel himself like a rocket and stab concrete with his nose and pull it out completely unscathed. And so he brags that his nose is completely unbreakable. And immediately, Luffy proceeds to break his nose not once, but twice. I love it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I noticed that, that, you know, he was able to just fly around as a shark dart and then, you know, he messed with Luffy and then that, that nose was gone. Just, just mm-hmm. bent it at a right degree crack. angle. Oof. Yeah, that, that 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 looked really nasty. And then finally, another big moment in this story arc. Another one of the most memorable moments is uh, Luffy and Arlong end up at the top floor of his base, and that is where Arlong kept Nami for eight years and forced her to make maps so much so to where she had blood on her pen probably from her worn out fingers and as soon as 
Luffy realized that this is Nami's room, he proceeds to just completely destroy the place. He kicks her desk out of the hole in the wall that they just made with their own bodies, uh, throws all of her charts out, all of her books, her library, just tosses everything. And Arlong's like, what are you doing? And it was, or and Luffy just says, he's going to bring down this entire place. And in a single strike, with one blow, he demolishes the entire building, as well as Arlong's entire ribcage along with it, and crumbles everything to the ground in one fell swoop. How badass. This kid is awesome. Yeah, the line work is just amazing. Just, just a good flow. Just everything that just just went toppling down and you know he, he was able to stand proudly at the end and just yell atop of his lungs and that and was able to rightfully declare that now nami is is is, is back with them now because arlong was defeated and that effectively is going to be the formula from here on out if you think about it because uh what how this story was written for this arc was that there is this tyrant who is controlling this place and the people don't care for him. They are forced to go along with it against their will. Luffy shows up, punches him in the face, punches him repeatedly. Someone has a sad backstory. Tears are shed. Luffy knocks them out and they get up and leave. That's essentially the one piece formula. Uh, Luffy takes on the strongest guy uh Zoro for the most part takes on their second strongest guy Sanji takes on their third Usopp their fourth and so on and so on and so on and even though it gets a little tiresome and a little formulaic in some of the future arcs this establishes what makes one piece one piece from here on out and it shows that Luffy values freedom and independence overall Zoro is a biggity badass that's pretty much his whole character you can describe it in just one single word uh Sanji, Usopp, Nami play the support role, but they're also wonderful characters. You got tons of character interaction, tons of cheers, tons of tears are going to be shed, tons of sad backstories, and it's captivating. Oda's Oda is just so good at writing emotional stories and then throwing some high octane action in there. And that's effectively what One Piece is. That's why it's been around for over 20 years, almost 25, you know? And this is fantastic. This is easily my favorite story arc in all of the East Blue Saga. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I I mentioned it in the last episode that I think this is the one of the, the, the earliest arcs that just really captures what One Piece is all about. Like, um, we see like this formula that he that um that he was able to to put together and we see it like explored even more later on in future arcs. You know, um, he he makes it a bit more complicated, but you know, if we water them all down, they all come out to be around the same. And you know, just with adding more, more and more layers to the One Piece world, the different characters, the different um, relationships, the different abilities, and and so on. Yeah, man, th- this is a fantastic story, and thanks for sticking with us for this story arc. It is wonderful and i love talking about it i love rereading it and this is fantastic i don't even know what else to say after that just a wonderful arc wonderful characters wonderful moments but uh with that i think we can call the arlong park arc a wrap i think that's over 
And the next one after this is going to be Rogue Town. Oh, yeah, that's another uh, very interesting and exciting arc as well. So we hope to, to see you in the next one. And yeah, thank you so much for listening. All right, thank you guys. Uh, this was fun. I hope you guys enjoyed. If you have any favorite moments from this arc or anything up from this point on, let us know. And we will see you in the next episode. Take care, y'all. Ready. Thank you. Goodbye.